Hey y'all, welcome back to a Friday, August 12th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. We got Fangraph's John Taylor on the Friday edition here on the program. Had a lot of fun uh, Major League Baseball stuff to discuss on this edition of the podcast. The Red Sox, uh, just a really rough year in the ALEs for them. Chris Sale now out for the year. Uh, just a rough two years for him. Talk about that. The Mookie Betts trade. Uh, Bogart and Devers feature with the team and just kind of a, the state of affairs in Boston right now. Uh, the Yankees in a little bit of a slump, what that means and how it might be a little bit related to the Mets. Uh, we talk about the Tigers uh, finally moving on from Alabila after just so many years running this front office and just it has not gone well there. Um, and then a little Teoscar Hernandez uh, development there in Toronto. So really good piece on Fangraphs.com that we talked about from Ben Clemens. So a lot of fun talking all things major league baseball with john on a friday switch things up this week back to normal next week but uh yeah uh don't forget folks uh you can check us out on youtube youtube.com slash chase thomas podcast like and subscribe all that good stuff and you know thank you as always for making the chase, chase thomas podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to this program we greatly appreciate you making the chase thomas podcast here at the blue wire pod network part of your daily routine this is a national daily program uh with new content every single day so make sure you subscribe apple podcast spotify wherever you get your podcast so you never miss a future episode all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right hello and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Thursday evening. John Taylor of Fangraphs.com is here, not as he is every Thursday, because we rarely record on a Thursday evening, but we're switching I things know, up right? a little bit this week. Well, uh, it's John, still a day that begins with a T and ends with a Y, so we're, we're keeping it steady there. That is true. That is true. I didn't even think about that. Uh, John Taylor, good evening, sir. How are you, my friend? I am doing all right. How about yourself? Not too bad, not too bad. The weather can't decide. It has both rained extremely hard and been extremely sunny uh, multiple times today, so don't really know uh, what's going on there. Uh, but uh, no engagement photos this evening, but um, I think okay. those will still come in the next couple of days. I don't know. I'm not a like a natural... I'm very concerned about this, John, and I don't know if you're like this, but there are like, people who can like smile for any kind of photos, and you can tell mm-hmm. that they're... The very jovial, uh, flash in the pearly whites, like just born to smile. That's not yeah, my deal. That's, that's not me either. I, I know what you mean. Where I just, I, if you ask me to smile on command for something, you're going to get something that looks like I am being assaulted in the process. Yes, that's me. Where it's like I, I, I do a smile, and it's like that's not a smile, and it's like, well, what do you, what do you want here, man? What, what do you want here? But if you make me genuinely laugh you'll get a real great smile from me. Like I, I don't just throw out the smile for, for anyone. I can't force a smile. I've tried. It just doesn't work for me. That is not my deal. I, so yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. I, I'm, or I'm, I'm the same way where it's like, I, I it's got, it's gotta be genuine and just having to do it mm-hmm. immediately for a photo and just be like, you know, it, it just doesn't work for me. No, but uh, something tells me the uh, sports renaissance woman will have some effect on how my smileage goes on uh, on uh, this engagement photo shoot. Uh, John, did you know that you're in the top three for my dad's favorite uh, podcast guests each week? Wow. Who, who are the other two? Uh, Matt Green for the College Football Show. Okay. Uh, that okay. big no surprise there. Dad's number one is college football. And then uh, Will for college basketball. So that's why Will. Dang, so y'all are okay. in the big three. Yeah, and I got I got the baseball on lock then. Nice. You do have the baseball on lock. And he's like, yeah, he's a smart guy. He'll he'll tell me. So he's going to listen to this and be like, oh, he got another shout out. But he's like, John's smart guy. I always learn something. Uh, when I appreciate I was, that. That's, uh, that's what I'm here for. I'm, I'm here to, to educate and inspire. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, John, we have some uh, baseball to talk about on this yes. very podcast, sir. Um, yes. We're not gonna we're not gonna go down the Red Sox rabbit hole to start things off. We'll go we'll we'll hit the Red Sox in a second. I, I, I don't I don't really know what there is to say. It's a it's a team with no depth and too many injuries. Like there there is a lot, I think, to be figured out. And this is probably a better maybe a better discussion even for the offseason when we start mm. looking at teams in review. But like I, I think for the Red Sox, a big question now is like there, there's no they're not gonna make the playoffs at this point. I mean they're they're behind the Orioles in the standings. Like the playoffs are, are a distant memory at this point. 
Mm. Um, I think the question becomes, you know, is this roster actually good at this point? You know, or is it a roster that's good in very narrow, specific circumstances where I, and I think it, it reminds me a lot of I think the Red Sox remind me a fair amount of the Giants at this point, where it just feels like when things go right, it has the potential to be a really, really strong team. Mm-hmm. Um, when things are not going right and not even so much when things go wrong, but when things are just not right, things go bad in a real big hurry because the depth uh, is not there and the major league signings that have been made have been not enough. So, yeah, I, I, I don't, that's kind of the thing with the Red Sox. So, I mean, I, I just don't know what more there is to say about them at this point in part because, and I think this is something we mentioned during the deadline recap, like, it's kind of hard to tell exactly what direction they're going at this point. It, it doesn't really feel like there's the, anything is being built to other than kind of generic mid contention. But like you said, that that's a that, that's a whole mess that is you know we we don't have to touch on that no more. Well, we should uh, just because we're here. The Chris Sale injury timeline in Boston is pretty preposterous, okay, right? Like th- yeah. that is just. The looming part of all of this is just you feel terrible. Like this whole season has just just been defined by a the injury, but also just losing his shit in uh at, in a start where he in, gets uh, on that rehab might, start. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Like I just feel terrible for that guy. Like Chris Sale has just yeah. got the worst injury luck known to man. Right. Like, what do you even say about yeah. Chris Sale at this point? I don't know, because like on the on the one hand, there's a genuine question of like, can his body hold up to the act of pitching, you know, between Tommy John surgery and the issues he's had with his arm since it got him off to a late start this season. I think there's a genuine question as to like, you know, what what can the Red Sox realistically expect from this guy in terms of the innings he can provide before his body breaks? On the other hand, the last two injuries he suffered, both the, the broken finger that knocked him out for uh, that was probably going to knock him out for the rest of the season that was on a comebacker. And the broken wrist he suffered in a bike accident, I mean, that's not his fault. That's not something yeah. where I, I, you can be upset, I think, or concerned about the idea that Chris Sale is being paid a lot of money and has just not been available. He, he's just not pitched basically the last two years. Um, and that's a real problem. That has been a huge problem for the Red Sox. It's, it's an injury, uh, I think, in the same way that Steven Strasburg's injuries have kind of uh, like undid a, a significant chunk of the Nationals in terms of both their ability to plan and their ability to plan financially. But the last two are just sheer dumb, stupid luck. Mm. And it sucks. It's really terrible because, I mean, the guy is very much, he has several screws loose in his head, but he's a great pitcher when he's out there and when he's healthy. I just worry now at this point that even, you know, health aside, like he has missed so much time. I, I just don't know how you can count on him for anything at this point going forward. And that's a real problem for the Red Sox. Like a good Red Sox team next year, a good version of the 2023 Red Sox involves as much healthy Chris Sale as they can get. And it's an open question at this point as to whether or not that's going to happen. Because, you know, do I think he's going to break another finger on another comebacker? I mean, there's no way to predict that. Do I worry that when he comes into spring training and tries to ramp up or whatever, that he's going to experience some arm trouble or arm pain? Yeah, because he's barely pitched the last two years. And when he has pitched, he has hurt his arm really, really quickly in every scenario. So that, I mean, like I said, it's a, it's a really big concern for the Red Sox. It is a huge concern, especially because uh, their rotation next year, they're losing Nate Yavaldi, who is going to be a free agent, who is also pitching with, lo- with lowered velocity and worse results since coming back from the injured list about oh, three or so weeks ago. Um they don't really have much beyond that. Nick Pavetta had a, a very strong first couple of months and then turned back into Nick Pavetta. Uh, the rookies that they've used for spot starts here and there have been fine, but nothing special. Uh, the veterans they added in Michael Waka and Rich Hill uh, have both missed a lot of time and also are not really guys I think you can count on going forward. Hill in particular, unfortunately, as much as I love Rich Hill, really does look like he has reached the end of the road. You know, the free agent pitching market, Obviously has some options, but I don't really see the Red Sox Khaleesi's being. Out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's she's back up. Um, I don't really see them being players uh, for big free agent contracts at this point. This team has made a big habit of staying away from them. Uh, plus, they have to try to figure out what an extension for Rafael Devers looks like, which is their most pressing long term concern. I'm you know the 
I don't, I don't expect Xander Bogarts to return. He's 100% going to opt out, and I don't think the team has any interest in retaining him at this point. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really bad situation. If nothing else, um, forget whether or not you know uh, this team with Sale was a playoff team. They mm. needed to try to get some better sense of how, what is Chris Sale capable of producing at this point. And in 2022, that amounted to about six innings. That's really nothing to go on. I think I have the official stat here from Jeff Passan. He has thrown 5.2 innings this season, and he threw 42.2 in 2021. So he has 47 innings in two Mm -hmm. years. That's just brutal. It's it's brutal. And not only that, but those innings in 2021 were coming off Tommy John surgery, so they were terrible, or at least Mm. not up to his usual standard. And he looked better in the single start he was actually fully able to make. Mm. against Tampa when he came off the injured list back in uh, July, I think. But by this, again, by this point, you do, you don't know what Chris, what you're going to get from Chris Sale at this point going forward. And right. I especially feel like you can't rely on, I don't think you should expect anything from Chris Sale going forward. I think you should act as if whatever he gives you is a pure bonus and build around his absence, not, not build with the plan of, Oh, we're going to get 180 great innings from Chris. You cannot, you, you'd have to be, insane to accept to expect that at this point mm-hmm. you know i think maybe you can say we can pencil chris sale in for for 50 to 100 innings you know barring some weird fluke injury again and you know well everything after that is gravy but again and then this is again i'm sure this will come up for the red sox offseason stuff with a rotation that thin and lacking internal depth uh beyond you know a handful of rookies we've seen who are again nothing particularly special from them you can't just pencil him into the rotation for 2023, you know, be like, okay, we figured out it. We have another rotation. No, 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 no. You have to act as if he's not going to be there next year. Uh, Cause you don't know what, he, you don't know who he is at this point. Yeah. You've gotten, you got five innings this year, just shy of six to see what kind of pitcher he now is. That's it. And we're not going to get to see that again until he either throws in the off season or until he throws in spring training, assuming he doesn't get hurt again between now and then. Which is the other part of this. Like, you know, again, the injuries, the most recent injuries that happened to him are not his fault. You know, comebackers happen, accidents happen. You know, that's not a that that's not a slight on him or to suggest that, you know, that's the kind of thing we should expect. But he is an injury prone player whose arm is simply not has simply not proven capable the last few years of holding up. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I I don't think you can if you're the Red Sox. I don't think you can go into next season expecting really anything at all out of him, and you have to plan as if you're going to get nothing out of him, and that whatever he produces is 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 a bonus. It's not a baseline; it's a bonus. And with that in mind, I will be very interested to see how the Red Sox approach this offseason because the other part of it is there are a lot of holes on this team, mm-hmm. and the farm system is not ready to fill them yet. So they are still going to have to do some work in free agency and ideally in trades and maybe start leveraging off some of the, some of the, uh, they have some depth in that farm system, but maybe start leveraging off some of those non-star pieces or some of those, you know, teenage lottery tickets down in a ball or, or in the complex and start seeing if you can't turn those players into useful, productive major leaguers, because there also really does seem to be a shortage of those just available to the Red Sox. I mean, they started the season with Christian Arroyo as their fourth outfielder. He's not an outfielder. They started the year with Jackie Bradley Jr. as a starting right fielder. That was a horrible mistake that they paid dearly for uh, before finally releasing JBJ the other week. Um, they started the season with Bobby Dahlbeck at first base because they just simply they simply did not decide to find another option there. You know, and I, I could get like next year, I assume if Bogarts walks, Trevor Story will be the shortstop. So who's at second base? It shouldn't be Jeter Downs. He struck out in over a third of his plate appearances uh, up with Boston this season. He's been terrible in AAA the last two years. You know, the the pieces are still missing for this to be a contending functional team. And I think that's what's so frustrating about stuff like the the Mookie Betts trade or the upcoming or Bogarts walking uh, this offseason or any potential Rafael Devers trade is that those like you're not getting better when that happens. Your, your team is not getting better when you trade Mookie Betts. Your team is not getting better when you let Xander Bogarts walk. Your team is not getting better when you trade Raphael Devers. Maybe some potential future team is getting better if you trade Raphael Devers, or at least has the opportunity to be good. But this team is already in such a weird place, I think, roster-wise and contention-wise, 
that I don't really know how you can make the argument to subtract major league roster talent when there's already when there are already so many holes. And I guess that's the thing. Like, you're if you're in this place where you have these holes, you can either fill them or you can start subtracting expensive pieces again and trying to build things on the fly. And like we have this entire season proves pretty well that that strategy really only works with good health. When your team runs into bad health, and I think you've seen this too in Tampa, how they just really have not been able to get, uh, how the Rays have just kind of never really been able to get in a particular groove, have never really challenged either for the AL East or for any of the top wildcard spots, except for some stretches in there. You need really good health to make a team that doesn't have stars work. You know, if you're, if you're, if your building model is something like Tampa, you know, whereas there aren't that there are, we're not signing or Chicago right stars, now or Chicago right now. If you're not trading for expensive, if you're not signing for or trading for established stars, yeah. you know, spending the money to do that. And instead you're relying on a collection of internally developed players from your farm system, um, mid tier to mid tier to lower tier free agents, reclamation projects, waiver wires, waiver signings, um, minor league free agents, you know, stuff like that, the way Tampa builds the majority of their roster that can work, but you have to have a really, really good player development team. You have to, you have to ace your free agent signings. You have to find the guys who actually offer some upside. And I, which is another thing with me for the Red Sox is they seem to, they really, Heimblum really seems to love dumpster diving, you know, guys like Juris Familia, Eric Hosmer, Tommy Pham, Jackie Bradley Jr. Like these are not guys with any real upside left, you know, nor do he I think your guys has he shaken off the fact that he is just the GM of the Boston Red Sox now where it's like, this is, but this is part of it. Like the way that this works, like, and I, this is something actually I found was kind of the case with Andrew Friedman early on in his Dodgers tenure. Mm-hmm. You got that sense that he wasn't really either willing or able to spend money in the way that the Los Angeles Dodgers should have been. And mm-hmm. he was still trying to build in this kind of Tampa fashion. And it's like, that's fine. But again, the way to make that work consistently is to have money so that when you run into these issues where you're like, hey, like for all of our work, we haven't really figured out, for example, a long-term solution to catcher. Mm-hmm. Let's go sign Wilson Contreras this offseason. And that'll buy us three more years to try to figure that out. You know, and the Red Sox are in that position too. They don't have a catcher in their system right now. Mm. You know, they don't they don't really have options catching wise for next year. Uh, they wouldn't have really because Christian Vasquez was a free agent at the end of the year anyway. But this, I mean, this there there is a scenario for you. It's like the there are two ways you could go about fixing that. The the Dodgers way is just being like, hey, let's just go get Wilson Contreras. He's the best available player. We can sign him to a short term big big AAV deal, you know. And in the interim, we'll try to figure out some more long term sustainable solution. Or as Heim Bloom has done a lot, you could be like, well, we'll just do Kevin Plawecki and Reese McGuire and Connor Wong and a bunch of other garbage next season, and hopefully we'll figure something out in the time being. But otherwise, maybe these guys will work. They don't. You know, you're guaranteeing yourself a really low ceiling and a pretty low floor, too, when you do stuff like that. And again, especially once you start running into injury problems, you know, because I mean, look, like no, no Red Sox season with an injured Trevor Story and an injured Chris Sale and an injured, you know, all with the various injuries they saw. It was going to be a hard it was going to be a hard path anyway. But you make it that much harder when you don't have stars around them and when you don't invest in the best available players. Do you, you feel know? better about the Mookie Betts trade now or worse? No, worse. Fit war, far worse. Oof. Particularly because Alex Verdugo looks like a league average outfielder right now at best. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeter Downs has gone backwards as a prospect. Connor Wong looks like maybe a backup catcher. And that's really it. That's all they got out of that deal. And some salary, like, and some payroll uh, flexibility by moving David Price. In exchange, they gave up an MVP who's having another MVP caliber season in Los Angeles. Like I, I that, that and like and I get like that trade was not about the return. It was about getting rid of Price's contract and about getting and about under or at least with the understanding that they Mookie Betts is not going to sign long term for the price that the Red Sox wanted. So they mm-hmm. might as well get something for him before he walks. And to me, it's like when you operate a team that way. Um, on when you're when you're basically saying like, look, we cannot afford to spend a penny more above this. We will not sign guys to contracts unless they are exactly the contracts we want. This is the situation you end up in. But is that an where you end up trading a dollar? A where you trade a, 
I think it's an ownership thing. And I think it's also a bloom thing because I think they found a guy to build a team the way they want it to be built, which is hmm. to say on the cheap. Like, and That's I think so part strange. of the like, Well, I think the, I, I think the ideal was turn the Red Sox into Tampa, turn the right. Red Sox into the Rays in terms of the player development, in terms of the farm system, in terms of the ability to get the most out of minor league and major league free agents, um, especially guys who have been overlooked or, you know, on their, or cast off. But that is such a hard strategy to execute well. Mm-hmm. And you need luck too. You need it. You need good injury luck. You know, you need breakouts. You need uh, established baselines of performance from guys where you like you, you need, you need flexibility roster wise so that you don't have to do stuff like play your backup infielder as your fourth outfielder. You know, you, you need to be able to make that work. And this, this team, this roster right now just doesn't really make any sense. It's not flexible. It's not, it's not deep. It doesn't have, you know, there are a lot of problems with this team right now. And I'm not really sure what the solution is at this point, because if ownership doesn't want to spend the money necessary to bring in marquee free agents to, you know, raise the floor on this roster, then I don't really understand. I don't really see why you would expect anything more than like an 80 to 85 win team next year. There are a lot of holes here and they, and they're not really a lot of visible available solutions that don't cost money or prospects. Oof. I'm looking for where y'all are at right now in the farm system rankings for your 19. So you got Marcelo yeah, like Meyer coming up. And that's the thing. Like those, those like Boston was, I think bottom five in Fangraphs farm system rankings before Bloom took over. It has been a slow climb just to get to 19. Um, some of that. And like, and that's with the luck, for example, of having Meyer fall into their laps in the 2021 draft. Yeah. You know, that he went, but he's still not going to be up for a while. Right. No, like you're, I don't, he just got bumped up to, I believe high a, you know, Mm. you're talking about someone where the best case scenario is he tears, he tears double a up next year. If he starts next year at double a, and maybe you're talking about toward the end of the season, bringing him up or something. Realistically, I don't think you should expect to see him before 2024. And Mm. that's if everything goes right from here on out. Tristan Cass is something similar where, I guarantee that he's going to be part of the first base uh, battle or whatever it will be this off season, but he's lost the great majority of the season to an ankle injury. There's no guarantee that when he comes up, he's going to produce. So yeah, I mean, that's it. Again, like a a lot of this is just like, if you're going to rely on that farm system, then you have to be, you, you have to be, able to fill the others because like a farm system can't do it all. You know, you have to be willing to spend money in the places where the farm system can't help you right now. And if you're not going to do that, and instead you're just going to sign cheap free agents and be like, well, just patch something together. You're not a serious contender at that point. You know, you're, you're just aiming for like the mid eighties and wins and maybe trying to sneak in through a wild card. But what's the point of that? Ultimately, if you're the Red Sox, you know, I think there's a point to that. If you're like the pirates, because part of the point is like giving your fans something to care about, something to watch, something like look like the Orioles right now. But if you're the Red Sox, you should be aiming much higher than maybe we win 84 games and we're the second wild card. You know, yeah. the AL East is not an easy division by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still like they, they won it last year with the more or less the same cast. You know, it is within reach. If you put together the right roster, you just have to be willing to try. And that's the, I think that's my biggest concern about the Red Sox right now is we have not seen over the last three seasons now that willingness to try to add talent as opposed to subtracting it for financial reasons and adding it in like in the case of Story, who was signed in part because he's a good player and, you know, he filled a hole at second base, but also because he was very clearly the, the person who was going to replace Bogarts at shortstop when Bogarts walked. He was he was the already existing fallback plan. And that's just that's no way to build a team necessarily. Like I having fallback plans is good, but having fallback plans where you've already decided that your all-star shortstop is just someone you're not interested in, in retaining their services any longer. I don't know. I, I I you're that's you're just you're just shifting deck chairs on the Titanic at that point. You're just shuffling pieces. You're not building anything, you're just kind of maintaining a pretty mediocre status quo. Red Sox. 
Yeah, it's it's great times in Boston right now with the Red Sox. And especially like be forced into a a full on rebuild like this might just be a situation where you look at the landscape of the AL East right now and you're like, all right, we're 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 behind Baltimore at this point. Baltimore's got the best farm system. But but even if if you're a Red Sox and you're thinking, okay, rebuild, there's not really a whole lot to use in terms of getting to that rebuild. Devers is your best piece there. But Rafael Devers is 25, 26 years old. That mm-hmm. is the kind of guy you build around. That's not a piece you trade in a rebuild. Like, unless you're the Nationals and you're just, one, don't know what you're doing, and two, are just trying to cut as much money off the books for new ownership, there's no sensible baseball reason to trade Rafael Devers. Yeah. And beyond that, there's really nothing on this roster at the moment that I would think would bring you anything of any value in a rebuild. You know, guys like Alex Verdugo or, you know, or Kike Hernandez or... Um, or story. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to want to trade for Trevor Story. You're like, th- there are not really pieces on this that's roster. Bleak. We're already at the trade <laughs> Trevor Story part of the. Well, like that, the but that's the thing. Like, if if the Red Sox, if if Heim Bloom and Red Sox management does have in mind that it's like, okay, maybe we just need to tear this down and start over. There's not a whole lot for you to tear down at this point. You might as well just build, honestly, because you're not going to get anything really of value except for Devers. And Devers is the kind of guy you should build around in the first place. You know, I, 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 I can, with Bogarts, I can at least understand the idea that he's, you know, he's getting, he's in his, he's, he's hitting his thirties. He's never been a great defensive shortstop. Um, you know, I, 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 it's a hard argument to make. I would just give Xander Bogarts the money he wants. And that's the end of that conversation. But I can at least understand that there are some valid baseball reasons why you might think twice about extending him. With Devers, come the hell on. There's no argument there. The only argument is he's not a great defensive first baseman. So what? There's this thing called the designated hitter where you can just park a really good hitter if you don't like their defense anymore. The Red Sox had that for a really long time in a Hall of Fame caliber hitter in David Ortiz. I'm not saying Rafael Devers is David Ortiz, but he's a very, very talented hitter who has shown no signs. of. He's, if anything, he's only shown signs of getting better and improving as a hitter. Because he's still young and he's still in his prime. That's the kind of guy you build around. That's not the kind of guy you trade just to st- like, especially because that trade is going to end up being three quarters for a dollar, the same way it was for Mookie Betts. I don't really see any reason why that would look why that trade would look any different. Ultimately, can Greg pitch the rest of the season as Chris Sale for the Red Sox? Greg from Succession. Yes, yes. I think that I would. I would like if they ever do make a a, a baseball movie about our current times. Yes, uh, Nicholas. Nicholas Braun should definitely play Chris Sale. Right? Like, he's the most Chris like Sale-looking it. guy imaginable. I like Um, it. And happier news for Red Sox Nation. They can live the rest of the... Hopefully, for them, they're like, oh, Yankees troubles? Like, what's what's going on here? Uh, we might be dying. This season might be a lost cause for us. But the Yankees have been rough the last few they weeks. John, what is going on with the Yankees? Uh, part of it is just... They only have three or four regulars really hitting right now. They have Aaron Judge, who's the best hitter on the planet at the moment. Uh, DJ LeMay, who's been great. And Anthony Rizzo's been productive. And Jose Trevino somewhat. But that's really it. And uh, so the bottom half of their lineup has not really produced. Their bench has not really produced. You know, I think they're pretty – they're missing – Yeah, they, that's the thing like with the Yankees especially is they don't have a good bench. Mm-hmm. Um Carpenter's now gone for a long time. Carpenter, losing Matt Carpenter really, really hurts. Um, they really, obviously, his left-handed bat and all the power he provided uh, and his versatility in terms of he could play first, he could still maybe play a little third, he can DH. Um, I don't know if they managed to get him in the outfield at all, but either way, there was some versatility there that he was offering that is no longer there. And obviously, coupled with Aaron Hicks and Glaber Torres and Josh Donaldson, well, I mean, I'd say slumping, but Donaldson's been at a season-long slump. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think they'll be okay. Ultimately, um, they're, they're just, they have some issues that they're struggling with in terms of slumps right now. They've really struggled in high leverage situations, uh, since the all-star break. Um, part of that, I think is Clay Holmes struggling in the ninth inning. He's had some really bad blowups or meltdowns in the last, in the last week or so. Um, yeah, but it, it really is just, they, they have a lineup that's really only a third of it is hitting right now. Hmm. And some of that, I think, should improve. I think Labor Torres should probably hit better. Um, they will probably get better. Like, 
they should probably they will get Giancarlo Stanton back at some point and that will help matters as well. But I don't also at the same time expect any real reason to think that Isaiah Kiner Falefa or Aaron Hicks or Josh Donaldson are really going to give you anything more than they've given you at this point. You know, those are that's two old guys in Hicks and Donaldson where injuries have really, really just I think sapped um what's left in their bodies and bats. And a guy in Kiner Falefa who just has never hit first place. You know, and has also not looked particularly good as a shortstop defensively. So I, I'd be curious to see ultimately if the Yankees pull a Braves as they did with Michael Harris and Vaughn Grissom and decide that maybe now okay, is the time. time for Anthony for Anthony Volpe or for Oswald Peraza. Like if they do want that little shot in the arm, if they think, you know, maybe they are better off with Isaiah with Alefa on the bench for the time being. Or I mean, Dominguez you know, might get a call up too. Who knows? Um but yeah, I mean, they're, they're just struggling right now just in terms of getting reliable, consistent at-bats from guys who are not named Aaron Judge and DJ LeMahieu and Anthony Rizzo. So some of that should turn around, I think. But I think if you're a Yankees fan, like, you know, they're still going to win the division. I don't, I don't think there's any real chance that they blow that unless Toronto goes absolutely buck wild over the last six weeks of the season. But, I, I mean, if you're the Yankees, like, how good do you feel about your offense in the postseason now? Or how good do you feel about the bullpen that has really kind of up and down a fair amount? You know, how good do you feel about the non-Garrett Cole parts of the rotation? Like, I don't think Frankie Montes, he had a tough start in his first start as a Yankee. I don't think that's what we should expect necessarily. Unless something about his shoulder is still bothering him, which that's has to be a we see kind of thing. But, you know, Jameson Zion has been really up and down. Dominguez is not an assistant pitcher. Uh, Nestor Cortez... Really seems at this point. I, I love Cortez. I love his love what he's done. He really starts to feel more like a five and fly guy at this point. And yeah. granted, in the most I means he's really only going to see the lineup twice, maybe start a third time. But yeah, the, there there are I think some real legitimate depth issues with the Yankees. That the Jordan Montgomery trade, I think we can almost say now it's a mistake. Like that was one that I, felt like a mistake so I, at the time. I can understand the logic of it in that. If you think that Montgomery is not a guy who's going to make your playoff rotation, if you've decided that your playoff rotation, once they got Montes, is Cole, Montes, uh, Cortez, and Tyon, mm-hmm. and you think that, you know, or you Severino want to start if he's going, healthy. Or Severino if he's healthy. I mean, and that's another big one that they're waiting to come back to see how Luis Severino is going to pitch. Then, really, for Montgomery, you're looking at a bullpen roll at best. And as a ground ball oriented lefty who doesn't throw particularly hard, there's not really you can't really play matchups with him. There's not really you're not going to turn to a, a starter to do bulk innings in the postseason. Like he, he doesn't really have a role playoff roster. And the difference between him and him and Herman, for example, over the course of the rest of the season probably amounts to nothing in terms of projected uh, production. Meanwhile, hmm. Harrison Bader is a fantastic defensive center fielder. Aaron Hicks out of the lineup on a regular basis and allowed the Yankees to play Aaron Judge and Wright on a regular basis instead of having to make him play center every now and again. Um, offensively, I don't know that he adds all that much aside from some cheap power and some speed, but I think what he offers defensively and the ability to firm up the Yankees' defense in the outfield for the postseason and what he offers on the base pass, too, I think that's worth the, I think that's worth the minor downgrade from Montgomery to Herman. But, I mean, yeah, it, it was a risky deal for sure. Was it's you know there there's a chance that that does not work out as planned, particularly that Bader's been dealing with and plantar fasciitis is not something that just goes away easily or quickly necessarily. It's it can ha- it, it already has had complications for him. He's already been out longer than the Cardinals had originally expected him to be. So it, it definitely is a gamble. But I, I think I, that's the thing. I don't I don't think the Yankees necessarily had to do more at the deadline. Um, I it just does seem though like this is but this is also I think part of kind of the bet they made in the offseason that instead of like a Carlos Correa or Seeger that they were going to take the diminished offense at short from a guy like Heiner Falefa and and or diminished maybe diminished offense from from Donaldson at third base in exchange for the better defense those guys provide. I think Bader is something similar where the focus is really on run prevention, you know that between Judge and Stanton and Rizzo and LeMahieu and whoever else they, you know, whoever else gets hot at the moment, they can hack their way enough through a postseason, uh, through postseason games against postseason pitching, but that really the better defense is the one that will make a, a 
bigger difference overall in keeping runs off the board in a way that they really couldn't last season. So I, I can understand that trade. I think it's still risky, obviously, but it, it, it does, when you look at it that way, I think make a fair amount of sense. Should be interesting. I also think, I mean, Brantley on the shelf for a while, and I don't, it doesn't seem good what's going on in Houston there. Um, and they have some out. I mean, yeah, issues. that's. They're I mean, not I perfect. Think... Like the AL is not like where the Yankees are in serious trouble. Like the, everybody who's contending in the AL, I think has their, their flaws. Yeah, right. I, I think that, I think that's fair. I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's your, you know, I think it's personal choice at this point. If you like the Astros or the Yankees more in terms of which mm. is the better team in the American league, but I don't think the gap between them, if there is a gap is at all sizable. Like, you know, I, I think they're, I think they're two equally matched teams where if that is the, the, the pennant series we get, like, you know, I, I think either of those are, would be deserving and, and valid AL winners. And I do think that they, the, between the two of them, they have a claim to be to one of them being the best team in the American league, which granted the only other real options are Minnesota and Toronto and maybe Cleveland, or I guess by virtue of Cleveland being, tied with the twins or ahead. I can't remember actually if they're tied ahead of the twins down the central, but um, I, I guess that's the other thing, the gap, there's no real gap between the Yankees and the Astros. There is a gap between the Yankees and the Astros and the rest of the American league. And mm. I think that's part of the calculus too, for the Yankees is that we're guaranteed a playoff spot at this point. We on paper are one of the better, if not the best team in the American league, you know, we upgraded the rotation at the deadline um, we added Andrew Benintendi, someone I actually haven't mentioned yet, uh, who's been who struggled so far as a Yankee, but uh, certainly has shown better than that or played better than that in Kansas City. Um, you know, they, they made the changes that they felt they needed to make, and they put themselves in position to, I think, at the very least, get to the ALCS and figure it out from there. And I think that really, when it comes to when it comes to building a playoff team, that's that's about the best you can ask for. I think so. I, I just. Like Yankee fans are really going through. It's like it's not that serious. I think it, part oh, of it is no. just that like we're babies now. They're only on pace to win ninety eight games. Yeah, but I also think it. You know what it is? I think it's because the Mets are competent and the Mets are good and the Mets. Well, the Mets are like, the best team in New York right now. I think that's all it is. I think that's why they're freaking out. It's just it's not that bad. The sky's not falling. It's just you're reminded that the other team is actually just really streaking. And look, I hate it. Like uh, friend of the pod, David Roth, a defector, Mets guy. Uh, well like he was we were talking in dms and i was like hey you know uh this competence is uh something that i don't particularly like and uh also he was like well they've got like 18 months of competence in them like they're an 18 month at a time competence so it's this is not sustainable unlikely and i was like yes but at the same time is it some people are saying is it time for uh, a raid of the Coens? Some people are saying uh, that's where we're at. I, I I am not saying that, but maybe that is where we need to go. Maybe that is the are time. You that Steve Cohen has boxes <laughs> of secret, top secret, highly classified material that the FBI from him. Yes. All right. I look. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying other people have been saying it, and it's worthy of at least checking into at the very least yeah. because but the that, that is- have to be stopped. It's a good point, though, that the Mets being the team that they are right now is definitely increasing, I think, some of the agitation on Yankees fans' part of, mm. like... I mean, part of it is, like, we were all beat in the first half. We were on pace to 110 games. This team never looked better in our lifetimes. And, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, we stink. Mm. And also the Mets are very good. And also the Blue Jays are pretty good right now, too. Um, but if the Yankees a mediocre second half, that's why you had. That's that was the that was the beauty of that first half. You gave yourself so much cushion in case exactly this stuff happened. Imagine how much worse it would all be if this leads down to three games for, as opposed to or whatever it happens to be at the moment. That is the, that sheer benefit of having had that hot seat. Yet, were the Yankees as good as the team, or are the Yankees as? There has to be some level of regression there. Ultimately, that doesn't matter to a certain degree because those wins are still, they've already been banked. Yeah. That's the real bad streak. It's not necessarily the season, but things go wrong. For that, for the season, Frankie Montes isn't out of the gate. That's fine. Like, we have some time for it to figure stuff out or whatever. If Andrew Benin doesn't hit 100 right away, Okay, so what? You know, we still got some space to move. 
Uh, I mean, look, check back in if it two weeks later that lead is down to five games or something. Really going to be having some fun. But if I'm a Yankees fan, I'm annoyed, but I don't necessarily know. Beyond, of course, the usual worry of any team in terms of like, are we good enough to win a World Series? But I think ultimately that's the thing. The Yankees are still good enough to win a World Series. I don't think anything from the last two weeks of the end of... No, unless unless something like Clayton's struggles are more than just struggles, and it's like he actually there is actually something wrong with him, and he's just not as good go forward. Um, because a guy like Holmes is just super super important to what. Mm-hmm. They do. But barring any injuries to guys like Judge Cole, um, you know any other extremely young players, I think the Yankees will be fine, and I think they're still good enough to win the World Series. Uh, who's not good enough to win the World Series because they've been bad at everything for a while now. Uh, the Detroit Tigers, uh, John, who finally relieved um, their long-time 22-year run for Alex Avila uh, in, bas- in baseball ops. And is it, is it Say it again? Alex Avila, is he also Alex Avila, like his son? Oh, is or is he it. not? I just assumed it was Alex Avila. Okay, maybe not. Maybe well, I, I, it was... I just I just don't know if he's also Alex. I don't know if Alex short for Alex or if it's just. That's what I assumed. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, it just everything just says Al, but no one's just named Al. That's a good point. His his name is Al, but that can't be his full name. I just Nobody's assumed it was Al. Alex. Must be. I wonder if it's Alex or Albert. <laughs> maybe it's Albert. Al Al, al-, al- aluminum. <laughs> I just I, I probably shouldn't have assumed that, but I just uh, I just walked Alicor? in. And I, I assumed it was just Alex because uh, Al and then his son Alex. Um, I don't know, but it was also just a crazy, uh, just Chris uh, Illich passing the buck uh, to oh, yeah. Al on the way out here. of just like that was our general manager who did that with JD Martinez and mm-hmm. company and Justin Verlander. Yeah, and you're like, but it's also just like. I hope no one bought that. Like it, no tiger fan bought that. It's like, that's not how any of this goes in any front office. Ownership is included in this process. Ownership is, has a voice. Ownership knows what's going on. The tigers fan is dumb enough to think that when the front office was talking about trading JD Martinez, that they didn't run it past ownership. Yes. They're just sitting there in the corner with his fingers in his ears and his eyes closed going, la 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 la. <laughs> I don't care what you guys do. Like, no, come on, dude. Oh, there you are. You're back, John. Oh, uh, did I dip out? Yeah, sorry. Like you, like yeah, it froze, and you like dipped out for a second. Oh, that's weird. Oh, well, no, I'm I'm still here. But I was just saying, like, yeah, Chris Illich has to own up to to some level of responsibility for this. I mean, you're the, I know Mike Illich died. You know, the Mike Illich, Chris Illich was not the one who hired Al Avila. He was not the one who put Al Avila on the Tigers in the first place. But my man, you've been in charge of this team for several years now. This it's is time not to sell just, the team. Like we, we look at the learners. It's like I think if you're a Tigers fan, you're really, really pulling for the Illich family to set. Like Chris Illich does not want to be the owner, and he's not invested in this team. What's no, he doesn't like, and that's and that's something I think that's worth noting for the teams that are in the hands of older gentlemen, mm-hmm. that, where they do become a family enterprise, and there's no guarantee that your son or daughter or whatever child you want to give this team to knows what they're doing has interest in what they're doing, cares about what they're doing, has any ability to do what they're like. If anything, if your team is owned, if your team passes into a family trust at a certain point, you should be rooting very, very hard for them to sell that team. Yep. Because the, the good chunk of that family probably has no interest in being a, in running a baseball team, or at least in spending the way that a championship baseball team would need to spend. We've seen it, I think to a certain degree with the Steinbrenner family after a George Steinbrenner died. Uh, we've seen it, I think, in the way the Rickets, Cubs, or baseball is the Lakers with the Bus family. family. The Lakers with the Bus family. We're seeing it with the Tigers and uh, the Illich family. I think we've seen it the way, the the very kind of unpleasant way things played out uh, with 
the Broncos and the and the Bolin family the way things most the, most of the time it just doesn't go well. I think we have a pretty no, good track the, record. It doesn't. Saints with um Benson. What's the name of their yeah the Benson family. Although mm. they have their own very big problems beyond the, right. the NFL beyond their NFL team. I think the Ford family's gone okay thus far. Or the, or like the, the McCoskies in Chicago who have driven or they've driven the Bears into the ground over the last. Forever, Does Jerry basically. Reinsdorf have a, have a son? What is that situation? Yeah, if you're a White Sox fan, you better hope that Jerry Reinsdorf's family is not the one that's going to take over. The Angelos brothers um, in Baltimore. Yes, that's another forgotten bad one. There was a like, lot of drama years ago. Yeah, like what? those situations create drama. They create tension. And they also create situations where not everyone is particularly interested or involved or invested in the team. And it seems clear that that's the case with Chris Illich because truthfully – what was the excuse to keep Alavila around as long as, as he's been there? You know, mm. what is the excuse for letting Alavila run both the draft and the trade deadline and then firing him two weeks later after the deadline? That's nonsense. That's, that's so beyond, that's not just stupid. It's lazy. Mm. It reeks of ownership. that's just checking in every now and again and only doing and doing things not with any particular plan in mind but just a sense of like ah, all right fine we'll get someone new i guess i don't know like this isn't as good as it should be or whatever like al avila has been the general manager of this team since i believe the 2015 season correct the 20 which one 2015 yes technically okay. like what is big good he's been in the organization though he's been in the lot. organization forever but he's been the top decision maker for this franchise the last seven or so seasons that sounds um because right. dombrowski is before him correct yes dombrowski was before him and they let him go not long after the um what was i going to say not long after the the failed world series team in 2013 and then the end yeah. of the the end of the like the mickey verlander uh prince fielder run so and they were together in florida right if i recall correctly didn't yes. they have a prior yeah the tigers have had one winning season since 2015 oh one time they have finished last three times and they're gonna finish last again this year what at any at any point in there like they what what is what is the argument where was the argument for keeping alavila i can understand to a certain degree if in particularly the last couple years with the way they were rebuilding stuff and the farm system they had and the prospects coming in the form of uh, Casey Mize and Matt Manning and Tariq Skubal and Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green and everyone else. And it's like, okay, let's let let's give the prospect some time to get here. We have this cool wave of young talent coming. But not only has that wave of talent really badly not worked out, um, and I, I think it's too early to say, especially for Torkelson and Green, that you know that they're bust or anything. You know, young guys not struggle, looking good. Struggle. It's not looking good. The pitching has not looked good. Some of that is injury, but a fair amount of it just seems like. Matt Manning throws 91 miles an hour with no good secondaries. How did that happen? You know, like Alex, like Casey Mize, when he was healthy, did not look like a number one starter. He looked like a mid rotation guy at best. Like Alex, like, and it's worth noting too, like when when that JD Martinez traded up, they got nothing for JD Martinez. Return for Justin Verlander has already basically disappeared. And Verlander's on his way to winning maybe another World Series and a Cy Young with Houston. That man's a machine. Yeah, and granted, like, Verlander's a freak, but the mm. Tigers got nothing for him. They got nothing for J.D. Martinez. They have just gotten so little in the trades that they have made. They have done so little in terms of player development, even beyond the, the headlining guys like Torkelson or Mize. When is the last time the Tigers brought up a young player who actually produced something for them? Uh, the kid, briefly, for, who went to uh, high school near me. Uh, what happened Gil to him? Badu? Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, he was a Rule 5 pick, and he was great for a chunk of last year. And then it just He didn't make the team out of spring training. They, for whatever reason, just left him in AAA for a lot of the year. Brought him back up, I think, last month, and he has struggled and not really done anything. I mean, you look you look at the players on this current Tigers roster, age-wise. Like, Tucker Barnhart's 31. Jonathan Scope is 30. Heimer, I guess Heimer Candelario's been... No, Heimer Candelario has an OPS plus of 77. Another guy who the Tigers acquired, who they figured from the Cubs, they figured, oh, this guy's, you know, going to be productive. He's got prospect pedigree. He really has not been anything more than a league average bat, you know? And that the young guys they do have on this roster, Victor Reyes, Billy Castro, uh, Badu, uh, you know, the brief bits of Daz Cameron that they got so far, Derek Hill, like... Cody Clemens. <laughs> oh, God. The, I like the way that Michael Fulmer and Joe Jimenez have completely fallen apart. Uh, I guess Fulmer's not there anymore, but... 
Um, Alex Fado, another one of those young pitching prospects who has really not done anything like the the incredibly poor free agent decision. And they were like, just going to trade Scoobal. Like that was just one of those two. They were like, that, well, that's what if thing, just- like, when you when you saw that, you, you had to feel like, what is the then what is the direction of this team? What right. is the goal here? Because if you're already looking to trade the one good young pitcher you have, what are you doing it? What are you doing? Like what? This is what I don't get about about the Tigers with Avila. There was no real evidence or sign, with the exception of an improving farm system that he very clearly did not seem to have much of a hand in. Because um, Al Avila does not strike me as a big time farm system guy. He's, that's never really been his thing. I don't think. I mean, I know he's had the scouting background and everything, but he doesn't strike me as the kind of like Rays or Dodgers esque like. You know, we're really advanced when it comes to player development. We're looking for diamonds in the rough. No, I, I, don't, I don't get that sense. That's the thing with the Tigers. You don't really get that sense they're on the cutting edge of anything. Hmm. You, you don't get that sense that they're at the vanguard of, of, of development, of performance, of, of you know, player evaluation, of any of that stuff. They just feel very kind but of... People like their farm. Like, they're still in the top 10 in farm system rankings every year. Like, people just like the farm, and then it just gets up there, and it just doesn't work. Like, it's but that's just... The thing. just farm on how many top 100 years you have or how many guys have a future value of you need to be able to turn those guys into productive major leaders the Tigers have just failed over and over again the last and so, so yeah, I don't really get the appeal of a deal that has been in years because the Tigers have just not they don't need anything particularly well except they're really good at losing and they're really good at making patterns Everything else has just for the last several years worked. And well, John, not everybody can be the Braves. We just call in it. You call up a Von Grisham, a Michael Harris, uh, whoever. Like insert player here. Like it's just it doesn't work like that. You most teams you can't just plug and play all your your farm depth and then them all just work. It's a it's a unique thing. Uh, privy well, to the good team in, in Georgia. The credit. Credit this is player development for making these guys, developing them, and developing developing that you can comfortably call them and barely any double A. And they immediately produce at the major league level. You know, test but also to the Braves themselves. The Tigers don't do that. They have failed continuously at doing that. And I think, that, again, the fact that Avila was let go after the deadline and after the drafts, just a real direction on the, with the Tigers. There's no real plan. It's more just, we got to do something. Somebody's got to get fired. Like, so why not the general manager? Especially because I don't, I mean, what attack does this have to Alavila? You know? Hmm. What is, and it, and it gets the loop around where we started. What visible does Chris Illich have to do? You know, I'm not part of the decision-making. My that's the manager who did that. I'm not involved. Like, they not spend, I think, the way a lot of fans expect. And then he kind of expected them to spend. Certainly, Eduardo Rodriguez and Javi Baez. But, you know, it, it definitely, I think, fell to the both of us. Like, that's not enough. Right. Baez has been a disaster. Um, Rodriguez, for whatever reason, is currently, you know, that he's currently away from the team, has not produced, has not worked out at all. Can you imagine if Carlos Correa had actually signed like that breakfast or that brunch he had with Hinch actually led to him signing the contract. Like what kind of season, like the amount of money he would have cost himself by going with Detroit over Minnesota next off season. Like that is an all time. What if, if Correa gets mm-hmm. talked into the Tigers, like if you're, if you're a potential manager for the Tigers and you see your, you see the owner of your team coming out and saying, when media is asking, well, what about this decision? And you're just throwing the and freaking it over him in the process. You don't want to work for a team that bad player development, creation decisions, and has an owner who seems checked out at best, if not antagonistic to you at worst. Mm. You know, I, it, it makes it hard to feel like the future in Detroit, even with the good farm system, even with Torkelson and and green and whatever, even with the high draft pick they're going to have next summer and the high draft pick they had, they had this summer, it does not make you feel good about what the future is there. If the people in charge and the people signing the checks just don't care and don't have a plan. 
because mm. that that is the vibe that's come out of Detroit. The the the, the, the decision makers there do not care and do not have a plan. Go Tigers. Go Tigers, man. I, I feel bad. Like it's a, I was excited. I really was excited about the Detroit Tigers this year. I really, you know, they really did have that feel of like, they got up, they got, they were better at the second half last year. It looked like they were finally ready to start adding pieces. They had that wave of young talent coming and they just, they've blown it. They've just blown it completely. Uh, we'll end on this, John. Teoscar Hernandez, uh, right fielder for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, hitting pretty well, uh, 128 diversity plus to this point, 351 plate appearances, 16 dingers. The Blue Jays are going to be in the playoffs. They're 10 games over 500. They're not going to catch the Yankees, but uh, per Fangraphs, your website, a very good website that people should go become a subscriber if they're not already. 94.5% chance of making the playoffs. Good piece, though, today on Fangraphs.com about uh, his changing of plans by none other than uh, Ben Clemens. What uh, what did you make of this piece and watch people go check out uh, what's been different about Teoscar Hernandez this year? So, yeah, it, it's interesting because it looks into Hernandez is someone who's kind of his season has kind of been up and down a bit. I mean, Ben makes the point the first third of his season was terrible and he's been he got better in the second third of the season. He's been red hot in the most recent third of the season. And tying that to his first pitch swing percentage and, you know, kind of how Hernandez's approach has changed. Um, one of the things Ben mentions is you know, he's, he has stopped swinging so much at the first pitch, um, which has helped him because, you know, if you're a guy who has, who has a predilection or a reputation for swinging at the first pitch, pitchers don't really have any good, any good reason to give you a fastball, you know? You're going to get breaking pitches. You're going to get off-speed pitches. Maybe maybe you time it up right and you still get a hit, or you get a, a hanging breaker or hanging off-speed pitch, and you still do something. But it, it's a tough way to make a living if you're always up there hacking all the time. The other part e that Ben knows is that Teoscar is not chasing as much. He's doing a lot more damage. Um, or he's, he's, he's keeping more of his wings kind of toward the, the heart and the shadow part of the zone, you know, or – He's swinging a few pitches in the heart and a few pitches in the shadow zone and fewer chase pitches overall. And while there is some downside in letting more pitches go by in the strike zone, there's also way more upside in not in not going after the pitches that you really can't do anything with. And I think that, you know, whether or not you're interested in what Teoscar Hernandez has been like to date, I think this piece is a really good illustration of the value of being a selective hitter, you know? Because Oscar Hernandez is the kind of he can hit mistake pitches easily. You know, he can swing like crazy and still be a mostly valuable major league hitter. But when you add that selectivity, when you add that that ability to lay off pitchers' pitches and essentially make pitchers come to you, make them throw you strikes, make them work strike, and put yourself into advantageous count. Um, you know, three ball counts, two ball counts. You know, not in two count. Uh, you're not up there swinging all this time or hacking it. It really can make a huge difference for you. And I think that in, uh, that has been the case with Teoscar. You know, in, it was like, you know, he was, that was just part of, was part of the puzzle. But as he has matured and grown as hitter, you know, he has figured out a way to turn these swings into something useful. And maybe it's not coming in, you know, in terms of more walk or patience or whatever. But it's very still value. And again, I, I would just recommend this someone if you do understand essentially the value of pitch selectivity. And, you know, pitching, it's always in that thing. Pitching and hitting is it's constant. It's a between two sides where each side has to make its relative adjustment. So if you want a good read on what an adjustment for a hitter looks like, check out Ben's piece on Teoscar. He does, Ben is one of our, is one of our, he's always really good at illustrating this kind of level. So definitely, go read that's something that interests you uh and you can learn something about Teoscar hernandez in the process and eric Longerhagen, i've realized is one of my favorite podcast voice this is like eric has a great voice he, he is a voice that's just it's just fan for podcasts. right like i just yeah. i was listening on my walk today i was listening to fangraphs audio uh with him and uh jay jaffe and uh i forgot who else was on it there's someone else on that particular one because it was a it was a three-parter um the guy from the phillies was on part one which is really good, Chad. Uh, what was his name? Chad Durbin. What was his name? Mm. The former pitch, Chad Durbin. Chad Durbin. That's correct. Um, and then uh, they were on, but I was listening to Eric, and I was like, "That is a podcast voice. I wish I had that yeah. voice." It's it's a strong Eric, H. John Eric Benjamin. The, 
vibe. Eric does have a very good podcast voice. Also, definitely recommend uh, folks. You know, I can read all of Ingress, but especially you know Eric is one of the one of the best prospectors out there. Um, and I really really stuff. Um, definitely check out Fangraphs Audio too if you want something that I know you know everyone knows effectively what uh, you know and, and and the great work that Meg and Ben do. But Fangraphs Audio has a lot of cool interviews. They touch on a lot of very different subjects. So. Uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll take this space to shout out Fangraph Audio. If you've never checked that one out and you're interested in another small audio. It's very good. It's a very good program. And I like the the, the little gamer uh, sound effects you got going on, too. It's a good That's one. Nice. I like the little... Dylan Higgins is the, is the guy who produces that for us, and he, he does a great job. He does. John Taylor, we can find you on Twitter yes. at Taylor. Uh, go subscribe yes. to fangraphs.com today if you have not already done so. And uh, you have yourself a great rest of your week, my friend. And I will talk to you next week. Later, bud. All right, y'all. That'll do it for the Friday, August 12th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you, as always, for making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen, wherever and how you listen, however you listen to this program. We greatly appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if that is indeed how you listen to this very show every day, Please make sure, if you have not already done so, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps other people find the show, and it helps this very show continue to grow. So if you could do that today, it takes like five seconds. Just go ahead and take care of that for us today. We would greatly appreciate it. As always, you can reach the show at Podcast at gmail.com. Tweet at me at Chase, double underscore Thomas, and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. New programming, local hour coverage uh, popping up this weekend. Sports reporters we indeed reassemble on Sunday. So jam-packed weekend for you guys here on the content front. So look out for that as uh, we continue on. You guys have yourself a great Friday, and I'll talk to you all very soon. Uncle Derek, how to do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.